G'day Kafka and Bond listeners. Welcome to episode 51 of the Kafka and Bond podcast. I am not Jamie Arden. I'm far more attractive than, than the young lad. He's currently at our new office, getting things ready, wearing a tool belt. It's in complete disarray, but I'm told and I understand that um, by Monday at least we'll have telephones up and running. Uh, it doesn't matter about the desks, um, given that we haven't had, we've had telephone issues for the last week or so. In any case, really good to be sitting in this seat with you today, Tony, and I haven't introduced you yet. I think that's uh, my, my next role. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to this particular podcast because I, I think um, with the, the mayhem going around, um, I, I, what I value at the moment is some experience. Um, this is a first for many, first for many under the age of, of, of 40, particularly um, within my demographic, that have never gone through a, a significant market crash or a recession Talk me off the ledge. Well, thank you, Paul. And the first thing I'll say is don't jump. Uh, the second thing I'll say is Jamie did say to me, if Paul Conti is going to be sitting in my chair, don't ever let him say that he thinks he's better looking than me. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, uh, so, but I'm not just. I'm not going to get in the middle of you two. I'll let, I'll let you two guys argue about that, or maybe Katie and Tess. <laughs> <laughs> argue on that one. We'll, we'll, we'll stay out of it, won't we? We'll the man who's been in this seat for 51 episodes and never said a word just sits there and smiles half, half a ton well over half a ton now like it's it's 51 it's, we're approaching one year yeah yeah i think not. that's a big milestone anywho it is it so, is um, yes we did a video this uh, this afternoon aimed at our accountants uh, we know that they're being inundated um keyword being inundated with their clients um who are concerned about the significant drop of their superannuation portfolios. Um, we know what sparked uh, the valuation plummet. What happens next? Can it get worse? Um, and what should we be considering, particularly over the next couple of weeks to couple of months? I think the concern that those uh, clients who are ringing their accountants have mm-hmm. is, first of all, 99% of them are sitting in industry super funds and they actually don't have an advisor. And they've gone and found out that on the 1st of January, because they got their statement, their industry super fund value was $400,000, and now it's you know $300,000. And how can that happen in a balanced fund? Well, when a balanced fund has 99% in growth assets, that's what can actually happen. So on that basis, because they haven't been advised, and they're, they're realistically... You know, if it wasn't for compulsory super, they would never have had that money in superannuation mm. in the first place. Mm. But it is their money, and they should be rightfully concerned about how their money is being invested. And usually it's not until these things happen, these major corrections happen, that people start to pay attention to that amount of money, which, as you know, it's always surprised me that if someone's got half a million dollars sitting in the bank or invested, they'll know exactly where it is. But when it's in superannuation, they tend not to inquire yep. about where the risks are and things like that as well mm. until these events do happen. And you're right, so you're 35, I think? 35 in a couple of months' okay. time. Okay, so in a couple of months' time, okay. So you would have been 23 
well, 22 yeah. when the GFC hit. So I know your father, Rob, had you working from the age of four. So you probably so down yeah, at the club, down four, at the club. Four months. Four, four months. Okay, so down at the club. <laughs> so it's, uh, and I know him being a great accountant, you obviously weren't working for cash. You were on the books. So it's, uh, and having superannuation paid for you. So let's assume that is the case. But when you're 22, 23 years old, you might have had a balance of five grand in your super fund or something like that. So that would be actually, I, I can I can actually tell you, I, it was about eight eight thousand seven seven hundred and twenty odd dollars. I remember it. So then in November of 08, it would have been roughly 4000 and something dollars um, at that stage. I remember that well. Now, the thing is, though, is when when you consider that, that's that's not a drop that you would overly be concerned about. Mm. Now, if that drop was in your bank account as a 22-year-old, you'd be freaking out. But within your superannuation fund, you can't touch it for another 40 years. My God, how does that time fly? Um, but it was just a case of you never even thought about it. This time they say it's different. Well, no, it's not. The fact is, is that the markets, the markets have come down for different reasons. That that's a given. Um, but in saying that, when you actually have a look at it, the thing that concerns us most with the industry super funds is the fact that. Historically, what has ha- what has happened and what could definitely occur within the next few weeks to few months is that people's funds get locked out. And that can be devastating. So as an example of this is that uh, if your fund gets frozen or they don't allow redemptions or rollovers to occur, that means that you're in a fund that you've just seen drop and you're in a panic and you've gone and wanted it to go to cash. Now, that's not necessarily something I would suggest, obviously, neither would you, because we no, suggest exactly the same not. things at yeah. the same yeah. time. But the point is, is you don't have a choice. And the problem with these funds is the huge amount of illiquidity that's in them. So they're in hard assets. Talk, talk about that. Like, why isn't it good to hold a CBD building um, earning a good rental yield. Yeah, so first of all is that that CBD building will have debt on it. Uh, secondly, that rental yield in these markets could drop significantly. So if a business's income drops significantly and all of a sudden they're out of business, it's not necessarily the CBD buildings that they own, it's the shopping centres they own. And, so and it's, um, Just and, on that, I, I guess you know, we can realistically assume that with people staying home, less income is being made and, and in some circumstances where rent is is received on a on a basis of turnover there's issues there right well there is but let's let's take it from your uh small local business through to your shopping center as an example so the different examples my favorite cafe here in uh fitzroy that i go to most days uh, for lunch or breakfast. Um, I've been a welcomed client of theirs for the last five years and got wonderful staff and have always treated me far better than I deserve to be treated. There, I was speaking to Daniel this morning and I just, because there were three people there, and I said, are you doing okay? And he said to me, we've got a meeting with the landlord tomorrow. I said, what's that mean? He said, we're either going to have to have a rental holiday or close the doors. And if we close the doors, he ends up getting no rent because no one's going to be opening up a business. 
And what was interesting is six months ago, Daniel was having a quick chat to me about potentially putting a business on the market and uh, selling, the, selling the business. It's a good business. You know, it is a really it good is. business. Um, and as I said, he treats all his uh, loyal uh, clientele as royalty. And to, to see such a happy person become so despondent about the fact that he could potentially lose his business, that, that's devastating. But all the supplies of that business is devastating for the, the employees there, you know, ranging from Sarah, the university student, to Hannah studies at Melbourne Uni and works there part-time to survive and pay the rent, and, and Olga, who's just come over from Germany, uh, you know, so not allowed to leave the country at the moment. Say, don't Never mind, go back there. Don't think she's leaving in a rush. But she might not be leaving in a rush. But she hasn't got family here. Yeah. Where does she stay? You know, so she can't go back and sleep on mum and dad's couch. That's right. So it's so so there are there are those flowing effects, and then of course you go to the large shopping centres. Well, in the large shopping centres, you see a lot of the retailers uh, have got out of business. And, you know, large ones are talking like Supportman's and um, Harris Scarf and Big W and groups like that. So they leave massive vacant holes in these mm. shopping centres. And it's not that the shopping centres aren't just getting their rent anymore. These shopping centres, for even for the retail businesses that survive, they don't just get rent, paid rent. They also get a percentage of turnover. Now, if the turnover is less, that's the less rent's gone. And as you know, some well, 18 months ago, we uh, started pulling clients out of property real estate investment yep. trusts that's right. as a result of that. And you know, once again, benefit of hindsight was probably a bit early. We did it for different reasons. We, we thought the retail economy might be suffering a little bit uh, coming forward. Uh, we thought that especially if Labor were to win the election, uh, with some of the things that they were looking at putting in place, we thought that could lead on to a recession very quickly, looking like we're going to go into a recession now anyway. So when it came to that, we thought, hmm, okay, it, we had low exposure anyway, but it's a sector, why have any exposure to it? Mm. So we actually we actually pulled out of that at that stage. So these, these are the concerns. Now, when you've actually got a portfolio of billions upon billions of dollars in these illiquid assets... You know, um, IFM, who are the managers, investment managers for the industry uh, super funds, have already frozen redemptions on their property portfolio. And as a result, Australian super has also frozen redemptions on their property portfolio as well. So if you had exposure to Australian super's property property fund right now and you tried to move that money out of there, it's already frozen. So will the next thing be then because of all these hard assets and investments in venture capital and private equity and, you know, loan putting loans out, you know, like Host Plus that they have at the moment, or at least Unisuper pulled them back in, we're having all of their shares out and loan for uh, short sellers. Um, you know, it, it, it could be a potential disaster waiting to happen. So if you, if you all of a sudden are locked out and can't make changes within your portfolio, that can be devastating, you know, and, and it can actually show some real uncertainty into the market. So that's the concern that we have. There's an upside to that right now, though, Paul, and that is that these funds refuse to revalue their hard assets right now. Well, no, refuse is probably a hard word, harsh how, word. How is that an upside? Well, the upside is, is that if you've got um, redemption of funds, they're selling it out of... They're selling it right now out of funds that um, are liquid, and those liquids are shares and cash. You've got very little cash to start with, 
uh, if you take Coast Plus's balance fund, once again, it's got 1% holding in cash. It has mm. to sell the shares mm. and all that liquid side in markets that are down to meet redemption requests right now because they can't sell their buildings. They can't go back to where they've loaned out private equity and venture capital and say, Paul, I really liked your business You know, last year and valued at $20 million. Can I have that back, please? <laughs> so it's um, because I want it back now. Oh, by the way, I'm sure your business is now worth at least $30 million. So, so do you think like uh, some of these larger super funds would have significantly large positions in, in, in commercial property? Absolutely. Can they sell them? Well, if they do, where, where are they selling them into? They're selling them into a fire sale. And has it's that, what hap- that happened in the GFC. When? Well, you saw after the GFC, you saw some property syndicates. The delay was around about six months after the GFC bottomed out. So when REITs at all, Real Estate Investment Trust that we were speaking about just earlier had already dropped 90%, property syndicates hadn't been revalued. But all of a sudden, when tenants were coming down and loans had to be redone and the banks were just saying, well, sorry, we're not loaning you the funds, uh, give it back. And then all of a sudden they've got a can't meet repayments anymore and you can't meet repay, and even though interest rates are at current historic lows. It's, it's a case of then if you're not getting the rent anymore, your debt to equity ratio falls and you're forced to actually sell those properties. And if you're forced to, if you've got a liquidity event, then you are forced to sell the properties because you actually have to meet redemption okay. requests. So and it doesn't matter that the fund might have $80 billion of it and have $40 billion in the equity market. They, they got wiped out yesterday. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, so you can, you're, you can have massive liquidity issues at the moment. And I reckon there's some you know, heads of industry funds who have been very arrogant for the last few years that might be having some sleepless nights at the moment, and so mm. they should be. Interesting. And that's what I'm saying is clients have the ability to potentially roll their funds out and put them in 100% liquid portfolios right now. Yes, they're going to lock in a loss, but I would suggest the loss that they will be locking in, if they can get out in six months' time or in 12 months' time or all over that stage, will be far worse because of revaluations than what they would actually be today. All right, so let me recap for a sec. So what you're saying is the potential is real that these particular hard assets or private equity and venture capitalist firms um, are going to face a, or potentially going to face a future event that's going to drastically bring portfolios down even further than what they are. But with the benefit of, benefit of foresight, we've got the ability to sort of eject in, in, in some respects now. And, and you're saying, and, and I think what you're saying is... Yeah, I would actually just emphasise it's the benefit of historical foresight. Okay. This has happened before, and it was only 12 years ago. You were a kid, you you know, so you'd only had your $8,000 in it. Now, Willard was only 10, I think. So, <laughs> so, 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 how old are you now? How old are you today? Oh, 26, 26 today. Happy there birthday, you go. Willard. Willard, I was a dad at your age. <laughs> so, so, so there you go. So, but that's what I'm saying. You know, 12 years ago, you, you were a snotty-nosed teenager. So it's, um, you wouldn't have even known that these things were happening. You know, your parents might have been under a bit of stress, but you wouldn't have felt it. You would have, you would have still been wagging school. So it's, um, that's all you <laughs> remember. school. Yep. Um, so I, I guess, and, and there's sort of what you're saying is if you're moving within the same market, despite the fact that everything's as volatile as, as a yo-yo at the moment, yeah. um, let's just say if you're moving within the same market, you're not necessarily, you're not necessarily um, uh, leaving at a bad time as such. 
Well, the, the fact is, is that if you can leave in the in a market where they haven't revalued hard assets at the moment, revalued them down, yeah, yeah. you're actually, even though the funds are getting absolutely hammered, uh, the industry funds are getting hammered at the moment, you're actually going to be getting out at a price, which realistically is probably in excess of what the underlying assets right are right now. So you're actually getting out at a bonus now. And then if you're getting back into the market, so does that mean you go and have 99% back in today's market? No, I wouldn't. Yep. So, so, but that's that's you are getting some way back into the market now. So yes, we, we would still have some exposure, but if you're a growth investor, would probably only have you at about 35% back into the market today on that basis. So, so yeah. Um, so ha- ha- let's go back a couple of steps. Ignoring the fact that we're, we're basically thinking or, or uh, implying what, what could possibly potentially uh, save someone's backside um, in some cases, um, in our circumstances, and I, I don't know how many times I've heard Jamie speak about it on the podcasts before, but we've been defensive for such a long time, overly mm. defensive. Um, we've had a, had a lot of, of, of holdings towards cash and fixed interest. What are we buying or when are we going to be buying? And we've had a, a, an underweighting to the Australian market. Do we continue in, in that same underweighting or what are we doing how are we going to position ourselves over the next over the coming period you got a coin or flip it yeah no only joking but seriously it's it's a little bit like that that at the well, moment is it well let's consider that yes we have had uh defensive portfolios and as a result of that it doesn't mean our portfolios haven't gone off you know, so basically all the great gains of last year have pretty much been wiped off. So cli- yeah. yeah, so clients are back where they are, say, you know, if they've been with us for 24 months, they've just lost the 12 months of gains uh, that they've had. So on that basis, you they have made a loss. That All that loss has all come in the last month, mm. uh, but they, they certainly have made a loss uh, in their portfolio. So being defensive does not mean that you're, you can't lose part of your capital. In these circumstances, what they've actually lost is all their gains from the previous 12 months. So we're back where we were 12 months ago. That's still not nice, mm. uh, but in saying that, it's better than being down another 15% on top of that as well. Uh, especially when we're talking, you know, large portfolios where 15% could be 150 grand. Mm. So, yeah, losing last year's gains is not nice. Um, being being in a situation, though, is far better than what it could have been. In saying that, though, you know, we talk about the Australian market, and as you know, Paul, because you sit on the investment committee with me as well, um, is that we have not had an Australian bias for quite some time. In fact, we ha- we've always said the Australian market was pretty overvalued. We have had some exposure to an equal weighted fund, a tactical asset allocation, um, and we have had some exposure to the index. In the grand scheme of things, when I have a look at some other portfolios where they've got 30 40 50 60% in Australian equities, that's that's not good. Okay, so that, that's, that's been really harsh. I think our growth fund had maybe 8%, 9% exposure mm, to Australian mm, equities on mm. that basis. So that 8 to 9% has actually still been hit without a doubt. But if we have a look at earnings, where we were before this um, all started, 
The average PE ratio in Australia, so basically for the last 20 years, has been 14.2. For those of you... I was going to say, um, in the shortest definition, what's a PE ratio? PE ratio just stands for price to earnings. So what's the price of the share versus the earnings of that share? Yep. So we, we regard, if that's the long-term average, banks have always sort of hovered around about that 14, 15 mm-hmm. as a PE ratio, as an example. So prior to the decline, uh, the average PE ratio in the ASX 200 forward PE PE ratio was 18.7. So someone might be thinking, the difference between 14.2 and 18.7 isn't much. It actually is. It means the market's around about 25% overvalued. Mm -hmm. So on that basis, that's why our exposure has been low. Today, the average PE ratio is 13.2. So it's not far below the long-term average. But if we take the GFC... At the height of the GFC, the average PE ratio in the Australian market was about 16.5. It dropped to 7.9. Now, one of the reasons being, obviously, is because... Now, that, that that's not Boxing Day sale. That's Boxing Day sale with blood on the streets. <laughs> you know, that is, that, but one of the reasons being was because it was decimated by the corruption of the financial services market. Uh, so the banks globally, etc. So with all this horrid, toxic debt. So, I mean, but I tell you what, that, that's a sale worth buying. That's not a 50% Boxing Day sale. That's, you know, that's, that is 100% below the average. And, of course, those who had the courage made some magnificent returns just by following the Australian index at that stage. And you, you know the story. We had a seminar around about 2009, um, and I think we had 300 clients in the old business turn up to it, and we did $50 million worth of purchasing in the big four banks, $52 million, I think it was, over the space of the next six days for clients. That's pretty cool. You had, at that time, you had, at that PE ratio, the banks were paying dividends of, fully frank, of about 11%. Yeah. How could you ignore that? Yeah. You know, so, and if they didn't need their money for three to four years, why would you hold on a return deposit that was paying 2%? So, so, which, 2% taxable. So on that basis, you know, and you have a look at, you know, even in 12, when the markets came down from, you know, 2011, 2012, at that stage, they came down to an average PE ratio of about 9.6, 9.5, 9.6. So... The problem is that the average P ratio at the moment, 13.2, is based on historical earnings of companies. And we know at the moment that potentially over the next 12 months, all these companies' earnings could be lower. How can you say potentially? Like, can you honestly sit 1.5 metres away from me at at standard protocol distance and say that it's potentially going to get hit? Like... Yeah, it's going to get hit. So it's and but this is why is the actual PE ratio at the moment of the market thirteen point two, or is the real PE ratio of the market right now around about ten? So I was going to say like sorry, or is it eighteen still? Hmm. So let's 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 put it this way: if if we were to take twenty percent of earnings off every single company in the ASX. On that basis, we would still have, you know, you'd have NAB's earnings down by $1.2 billion for the year. They're still posting, you know, $10 billion, uh, so that's not bad. They're still doing quite okay. Macquarie Bank at the moment, you know, it's, you have a look at their market cap, $44 billion at the start of January, $31 billion today. So that's dropped by 25%. It's currently got a P ratio of 9.6, paying nearly a 7% fully frank dividend. That's attractive. Can Macquarie mm. Bank drop some more? Yeah, absolutely it can. But if you look in long term, that's starting to become attractive. So even if their earnings were to drop by 20%, 
you have a look at its current price, that has it up at around about 11.5 as a P-E ratio, that's still attractive, that's still above that average. In saying that, that's taking bets on individual stocks. Now, yeah. The amount of clients, as you know, rang up and said, should we buy Qantas? And no. <laughs> so it's a, don't take a bet on an individual stock yeah. you know, at any time. So are we buying right now? The short answer is no, we're not. We still think that the market is going to be volatile. But let me say this. I'm, I'm just going to give a couple of examples which I looked up prior to coming into the room. Thank you for the prior notice of some of the questions that you were going to give me. <laughs> but if we had a look, if we go back to the GFC, on 22nd of January 08, I'm just talking about the Australian market here. So I'm talking about the largest one-day declines. So this is now the, this was the one, two, three, four, fifth largest one day decline in January, 22nd January 08, who was negative 7.3% for the day. That, that's, that's a fall. You know, that, that is a hell of a fall. The subsequent year return was still negative 31.3% from that fall. So if we went rushing into the market uh, the day following that, where it was negative 7.3%, for the 12 months, you're still down 31% on, on that initial buy. And that's the volatility we talk about. Five years later, you're positive 14.5%. So let's use it on 100 grand. You bought 100 grand worth of shares on the day after the 7.3%. After a year, you're at $70,000. After five years, you're at $114,000. So you've averaged about a 2% return per year. There's still volatility in the market. There's still, you know, the you know, Norwegian pension fund was bankrupt. Yeah. There was there was still all of this still to come out. And it wasn't realistically until August 08. It started 07, but it wasn't really until August 08 where it really started to melt down. That's when we had the Lehman Brothers collapse and when we had the bailout starting and you know, Obama's first 100 days in office was about, my God, the world is melting. Uh, what are we going to do? Everyone has to be bailed out. So if we then have a look at the second largest drop, one-day drop in history, was on the 10th of October 08, which was negative 8.2%. Now, at that stage, there were still two other major drops. Uh, six days later, another 6.7%. And uh, three weeks after that, another 5.4% all in the top 10. If you invested after that second large scale drop of 8.2%, for the following 12 months, you were actually up positive 26.6%. Mm. For the five-year average return on that was now 62.4%, averaging 11% growth per year in the Australian market that has zero innovation, that has zero tech in it, realistically, that is still boring financials, boring, boring mining, etc. But at that stage, you're now starting to look at CBA drop from $66 down to around about $30, $32 at that stage, drop to about $28. Um, about a year later. If you have a look at the other drops, 16th of October, 27% return for, uh, for the next 12 months, 13th of November, 34% return for the next 12 months, positive 80% for the, ne- for the next five years. This is the Australian market. This is the boring old Australian market that we're talking about. Put the US market in there, and you just didn't give me enough time to look that up, mm. but if you put the US market in there, from that point in 2008, it was up 300%. And that's just the, the boring old S&P 500, where, of course, innovation there is innovation and there's companies now listed in the top 10 that weren't even around in 2008 um, on that basis. So, 
Do we, are we getting into the market now? No, I'm still, I'm getting phone calls from people. I'm saying, we've got this cash. When are we going in? When are we going in? And I'm still saying, you know what? If we did buy you in today, in three years time, you'd still be pretty happy from where we are. But I still think there's volatility. I still think there's volatility for the next six months. So get your money out of industry funds. Put it into a super fund where you have got liquidity. You might be a growth investor where you should have 70% in growth assets, but let's just put 35% in growth assets at the moment. They're still pretty cheap. And then basically when we're talking six, eight, 10 months time, we start dripping it back into the market at that stage where you eventually get back to the 70% point. Will we ever pick the bottom of the market? Will we ever pick the market again when the average PE is 7.91? Doubt it. But if we do, you can call me a genius. I'd call myself the luckiest guy on earth. Um, so, it, but you know, there, there's a lot of people right now that are looking very smart. You know, people like Warren Buffett. You know, holding on, getting criticised for what do you have? One hundred and twenty. I remember reading about it early last year. It was one hundred and eight billion last year. Now, as at last week, I think it was one hundred and twenty-two. So billion sitting in cash. Billion, billion with a B, sitting in cash, looking pretty. Yeah, uh, Apple had sixty. Well, had sixty billion sitting in cash. You so, know, and, so and Apple's um, like multitudes bigger company than than Berkshire Hathaway is. One point four trillion in value. Yeah. yeah, so about about two and a half times the size of Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. So, uh, I suppose in 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 winding this up, Paul, is that what are we going to do with our clients' cash and fixed interest right now? Nothing. Um, what are we going we're just going to still be a bit patient and patience is a virtue um, we are looking at clients portfolios as we said we know that last year's gains have been wiped off uh, but we know our conservative approach means that an extra 100 grand hasn't been wiped off on top of that and we will be looking at placing funds into the market when certain opportunities in that arise do we think uh, this is going to last forever? Absolutely not. Do we think? No do we think markets will bound back from this? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. With the benefit of time, everyone's going to do really mm-hmm. well. Just having a little bit of patience, getting out of crap right now that where you could get frozen or locked in forever. Just get out of it. You know. So it's um, if you can do it now and lock in a decent unit price now, do it. But I think on that, just briefly, it's it's if you get if you do get stuck on it you miss out on the upside everywhere else. Absolutely, you do. And when everyone else is starting to recover, your funds have just been uh, devalued considerably because they've now put devaluations on all those hard assets and they've devalued them dramatically as a result. So, yeah, so there are opportunities for the brave. Um, In saying that, though, it doesn't mean you have to be foolish. It just means you have to... Just sit tight, be patient. Um, I don't think there's going to be a run on the banks. You know, it's, um, sorry. Just just as we end, there is one thing that I will mention. If we do go down to a lockdown in this country, it is business as usual for us. Uh, our IT systems do support all of our staff working from home. So we do actually have a, um, a contingency plan in place. It's not as if people can't get a hold of us, still ring the same numbers, still goes through the people, people will still call you back. We're still here. It is still business as usual, even in the event of a lockdown. Yep, looking Technology is a wonderful thing. I'm not looking forward to a lo- looking forward to a lockdown. <laughs> so, so, uh, you just want to you just want to hang out in your new office. I, I love I my new t- office. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to <laughs> well, my new office. No one else will be there. You'd be able to, to sleep on the couch at nights. Yeah, that, listen, <laughs> that, that's happened before here. <laughs> so, it's, uh, 
Okay, so in, in closing, you know, it's a case of in five years' time, we'll have forgotten about all this, but it doesn't mean we foolishly deploy cash today. We just say, yep, we're going to still just be a little bit patient and get in, but don't be in stuff like mortgage funds, like high-yield funds, um, like, you know, potentially some of the major industry funds where your money can be locked in. Just be very cautious of that. Good stuff. Really good conversation. Exciting times. Looking forward to the next period. And um, we'll see what happens when Jamie's back in the driving seat next week. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Bullock. Take care.